for that sweet spot with all our heart. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Our New Voice. Today, I'm talking with John Lee Rucker. Oh, hello. Good day, everybody. Hi, Grisha. So, uh, really happy to have you here today. And I know your heart's so clear and true after that wonderful event on the weekend of regeneration for Permadam. So, happy to have your voice and your clear heart in our conversation to really learn each other's perspective and appreciate one another in a new way. Mm, yeah. I guess we'll just kind of go into it and let the conversation happen. You know, uh, John and I have been communicating for a long time, so hopefully our ability to communicate well will come through here and we'll get great information on how to continue to find that, that way to build a foundation of understanding for all people for shared prayer. Because I know for uh, myself and John here, that's, that's an important part of what's up. Mm, yeah, absolutely. All right, John. So tell me, how were you informed of your gender? Like, how do you recall your younger self in regards to gender? One thing that really stands out clear about my identity throughout my life is that I sort of leaned more towards my feminine nature early on, you know, and there was a really clear reason for that. You know, my father is actually my adopted dad. He had a lot of anger issues, like really just like explosive anger, just kind of like had a switch that would just flip at any moment. You know, you never really knew when it was going to go off. And, and it really just seemed so uh, unnecessary, you know, crazy. Right. And, um, but my mom, on the other hand, she was just a sweet, unconditionally loving, nurturing woman. And I always felt very safe around my mom. I remember very early on having this very strong thought that I don't want to be anything like my dad, you know, because I had this such a contrast between this beautiful, sweet, unconditionally loving, safe presence to be around and this like very, very explosive, you know, human being. And so I always tried to be more like my mom. And so being that way, I just feel like I naturally cultivated that soft, gentle, feminine um, side of myself, you know? So that's kind of how I was as I grew up. I, you know, just was a very gentle person, kind, loving, and sort of just accepting of everybody, you know, not, not, a, not a very judgmental person, very open, very kind to everybody, you know? And that way, I think I kind of got along well with most people that I came across. And then later in my life is really when I... You know, when I got into physical work, like real farm work, there was something about that that I felt like really started to nurture this masculine side of myself, you know? So I think, yeah, like when I was younger that way, I, I think, you know, having leaned more towards the feminine side and nurture more of that feminine side of myself, I feel like I was very much like in the mystical realm too and in the feeling and emotional kind of realm. And as I started to get into the works, you know, the, the real handy kind of man work, kind of associate with with manliness 
I feel like that sort of really started to ground me in the physical and started to really, I don't know, I guess, nurture that masculine side from the, from the ground up, you know? Um, Nice work. Yeah. And I, and I also like, remember that, you know, until that point, really, I, I, I sort of shunned anger as like a, not a very spiritual thing. You know, I think I always like kind of, uh, held spirituality connection to spirit as like a very high ideal for myself. And I didn't really see a place for anger in that, you know? So I think I was always kind of very Zen in that way, just when it comes to anger. I mean, I still dealt with other emotions like anxiety, fear, but anger was just something that like, I really thought was a lower emotion and I never really saw any value in it, you know? And as I came to grow up, you know, my idea of what a man is, I think I actually learned a lot about masculinity from the Native American church that I was, you know, had become a part of probably about eight years ago, just, you know, seeing a lot of very masculine men in that culture. And having learned that traditionally, you know, in villages and tribes, that men were the protectors and the providers, you know, and women were, you know, taking care of the children and taking care of the home. So that's sort of a traditional way of viewing that. And I think, you know, in modern times, a lot of people in the spiritual community, I mean, you know, we've had the the rise of feminism and probably what was that, like the fifties or sixties or something. And, and, and a lot of spiritual people today, you know, might not necessarily cling to those traditional values, but I actually uh, really resonate with those traditional ways of seeing a male and a female. And I think it was actually very healing to adopt that view of masculinity, which is that, you know, man is a protector and a provider for his family and for women and for children. I think that when I really adopted that view, it was very healing for me. And it actually helped me to, I think, have a really clear idea for myself of what it feels like to be a man, you know, what, what I believe being a man is about. And so I really, I really feel that way about myself and about masculinity is that you know, in general, you know, I do think that there's all kinds of men out there, but I think that in general, you know, the men in our society are, you know, meant to be the protectors and the providers. And we were the ones that got sent out to war, you know, and, and still most of the military is, you know, predominantly male. There are women in the military as well. But so I, I feel that way about myself. You know, I'm a protector and a provider. And I've also healed my relationship to anger, you know, whereas I don't see anger anymore as sort of a a non-spiritual emotion. I believe that, you know, it's, it's not good to fragment ourselves that way, you know, and to suppress these very real experiences that we have that, you know, anger is really just a cue, you know, it's telling you, Hey, something's not right here. You have to do something, you know, it's really, it's really a, a signal and, and, and you're, you're meant to channel that energy into correcting something or into changing something in your world or yourself. So I really like come to embrace my anger. And I think that anger also comes in handy in that role of the male protector provider. It can sometimes be a signal to say like, no, you have to create a boundary here, or you have to defend yourself or your family or your village or your land, you know? So these are just very real emotions, natural and instinctual. And um, I've come to embrace them in I've come to embrace them. Yeah. All right. Well, that's awesome. 
I'm feeling that I would like to uh, share a little bit about what you're sharing in mm -hmm. regards to what I'm hearing and, and how it's meeting uh, my person. For me, you know, I, I very much did things very similar, but in a you know complete opposite way where the safety I found in being more like the boys, being the oldest of the girls with a single mom, like being able to like take care of business, you know, deal with the boys and not take any garbage, you know, and like clean up and learn their game and learn how to communicate with them. And which is, you know, served. I mean, I, I'm making, you know, men's groups as well as women's groups this time because of my ability to have rapport with the masculine. I think some of the uh, the gentlemen, like your your sweet stepfather, who became overwhelmed with his emotions and his own layered traumas, and then came out sideways with the enhancement of whatever medicine he was choosing. Because oftentimes, when we can't handle our emotions, we use a medicine to try to regulate, you know. And then we're not able to do it great, you know. We're sloppy and we're messy, and our children have a tendency to look at it like, "Oh, what's the matter with you? You know, what are you doing over there?" And you know, obviously, we're all responsible to take care of ourselves and. I know some of us children can really start to take our parents on as a responsibility, like we have to make them better, but really nobody can make someone else better. We can only learn from the mirrors of each other, you know? So I'm uh, recognizing how that's part of it. And then of course we repress things. I remember my eldest son, John, telling me uh, as a young, young boy, mom, I don't think we can keep all the anger in. I think, I think we really need to uh, get it out a little bit at a time or something. I don't think this is gonna work. <laughs> five you know because i too took to that same understanding like okay i can't get mad i gotta stay cool i can't get mad you know, i gotta figure out how not to get mad so i liked what you said about the anger thing because all sensations like you said are cues i thought that was great language for that awareness that our body's talking to us through sensations and emotional regulation is really how you build uh, a tuned instrument to some degree because then you can co-regulate with others and nobody's responsible for anyone else's emotion or not having emotion, you know? <laughs> well, you know, one thing I do appreciate about what you said is my sweet stepfather. Yeah. My adopted father. He, uh, he actually is a very sweet man and, you know, I've come to heal, you know, whatever wounds were caused throughout my, you know, earlier years. And uh, me and him have a really great relationship and he's really uh, grown into such a sweet man. I, I actually haven't seen that angry, explosive side of him in, in quite some time. I can't even hardly remember the last time. So, you know, I appreciate you saying that. And then, yeah, the, the wisdom of your, your children there, you know, it's really about not, uh, not handling that anger in destructive ways that could hurt other people unnecessary. I mean, in the example of having to defend your village or your land or your family, I mean, sometimes, yeah, violence might come into the picture, but I think really it's, you know, that feeling that you had of, oh, I can't get angry. You know, it's, it's really, I, I think it is helpful to actually have your anger in check and to really kind of be able to just observe it from that witness perspective, from the observer, and then to be able to decide with great consciousness and great intention of how you want to respond to that signal, of how you want to respond to that anger, make a clear choice, but not to necessarily be so reactive with it that it just, you know, oh, yeah. goes all like over Like Van said, just... Yeah, discernment. I'm sorry to cut you off. Yeah, like discernment. That's yeah. what I'm hearing. Like, yeah, that's that's the word. Yeah, like like yeah. discernment. I think, and I think like with children sometimes, like if you like lose your cool, let's say, you know, and you just like, you know, react out of anger. A lot of times, you just kind of like lose with the kids right there. Like they they ain't gonna listen to you. They're just like, ah, this is a bunch of crap, you know. But if you can kind of keep your cool and then like respond in in a calm way, even though you might be feeling that anger, 
you know, and that anger is still telling you something that's okay. But, um, if you can, you know, especially with the children, be calm eh, with anybody really. From listening to people for many, many years. And I agree with you, like the centering response to all things, especially our children is the best we can do. But I also know situations create complications and we don't know what's going to bump into us when we join families or we blend families or blend cultures, like you know, tracking different marriages and relationships over the years, you know, those shared understandings that come from your different foundations. And then like, when you feel the way you feel all of a sudden, like you got this 10 year old boy that's reminding you of you and, and different things come up in you and recognizing that our children are designed to help continue to grow us divine. You know, they're designed to help move through where we might've gotten a little stuck or dense, you know, they're going to be the, the mirrors of us. And there's going to be some parts that's more intense because of it. I think it's just also telling the children that will and can get sloppy to get better. But the thing is to keep it inside. That's not going to work. It grows this like false pride. And I don't know that it really creates, you know, the kind of connection that is possible. Yeah, absolutely. We're not perfect. And we're going to learn through these experiences. You know, I do have some like bit of idealism, you know, in me. And I always do kind of like... You're a Pisces, you're Neptunian. Right. (laughs) Pisces with a Pisces rising, you know. So I do kind of strive for these ideals and always like, you know, kind of my ideals that I observe from, you know, various studies or observations of other people that I kind of see as, uh, you know, embodying these ideals. I actually saw an article not too long ago, really was really interesting and inspiring. The Inuit people in Alaska, that their children, when they grow up, they really don't, they really don't know anger. They don't, they don't really ever feel anger. Very, very rare thing. And the reason is, is because it's very deep in their culture that their parents do not ever react to the children out of anger. And so, for example, if the child throws a rock at the mom's head, the mom's not going to say, hey, don't throw a rock in my head. The mom's going to say, it really hurts me when you throw that rock at my head. You know, that really hurt me. And, and the child learns that way. You know, oh, I hurt my mom. I don't, don't want to do that. You know, and that's really just like an example of ancient nonviolent communication. You know, that's the yeah. same back teachings that's in NVC, nonviolent communication, compassionate communication is to really not point your finger at somebody and say, no, you did this. No, don't do that. It's really to just, you know, be vulnerable about your feelings and say, Hey, this is what I felt when you did that. I'm amazing that these children are growing up and they don't feel anger really. I think that's beautiful too. And I know with the second book, we did a lot more of that and that was allowed and still persists. You know, I find them both say, I don't like it when you did this, how do I feel about that? So I agree that that is possible. And I'm it's all about holding the ideal possibility that we grow in as much safety as we can, but just not reject because sometimes there is a, something that doesn't feel right. And you got to find a way to use your voice. And if at first it comes out a little choppy, like in the talking circles, they say it might be choppy at first, but the waters will settle, you know, don't keep it in, mm-hmm. you know, because we're still growing to that beautiful understandings of how those things are possible. And of course, you know, we all say yes to peace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. So how about in relationships? How have you, I guess you've kind of already shared more, but do you want to share more about how your life with relationships and, you know, I don't know, dependence or addiction or women, like how do you feel you process that part of life? Okay, great. 
before we go into that, can I just kind of like add a little bit of summary to like the previous topic? Yeah, John, this is your time. Well, I just want to say that, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for the experiences that I've had in my life and even the traumas that I've experienced and pain and, you know, all that has, you know, helped me to become the man that I am today. And I'm sure a lot of people feel that way about their past experiences as well. And I'll just say that, you know, that experience that I had of sort of cultivating my feminine side earlier on and then cultivating my more masculine side later on, I think that that actually, you know, was very beneficial for me in this time, you know, where I, I feel very like grounded as a man with my masculine side, you know, I feel like a warrior, I feel like a lion, you know, but at the same time, I feel very much like anchored in this very compassionate and gentle and nurturing side too. I feel like there's a really good balance there. Whereas if I was just kind of like, you know, one of the guys all my life, you know, your average kind of meathead, <laughs> not to really make fun. Not, not, not to really make fun of anybody, but, you know, just to say like, if I, you know, that, that, that might have sort of expanded my ego in, in some sort of way. And I'd probably be on a whole different life path right now. And so I'm just glad that it kind of happened that way, you know, where as a man, I developed my feminine nature more strongly before I started to bring my masculine side up to sort of that level. And that's all I really wanted to say about that. Well, it's beautiful. It sounds like your life happened perfectly, that you and your soul made a great design for how you were going to become divine at the time, you know? Sounds really beautiful. Yeah. I do like to, I do like to think that about life, you know, for all of us, really. Yeah. So then in regards to relationships, you know, I'll just say that, you know, my way of relating to people is constantly evolving, constantly changing. Going back to the example of earlier on, when, you know, I was cultivating that feminine nature, I think I was a very loving and very nurturing person, you know, like a giver, right? And I always wanted everybody to be happy. And I just wanted to give, give, give. And I was so empathic to other people's emotions, you know, as Pisces as well, right? Just like very much in tune with other people's emotions. And people, and I would feel people's anger around me too, and people's sadness and stuff. And those were emotions that I always wanted to sort of help to facilitate change and transformation in those emotions to sort of bring people to happiness and bring people to peace and, and joy. And so by doing that, I, I sort of like became very chameleon-like, you know, and just always giving and giving and, and able to sort of be the actor and, and sort of wear the expression of whatever I felt would be most nurturing to the people around me. And you know, being that way, I didn't want to disappoint anyone, you know, naturally, I didn't want to, you know, make anybody upset, make anybody angry. So I think by being that way, I sort of gave too much, you know, and I also sort of allowed people to cross my own boundaries. And I allowed people to take cross my lines, cross my boundaries. And being that way, you know, you sort of lose a little bit of your sense of self in the world, because you're constantly adapting to the environment around you, you're constantly playing the part for the people around you. And so I think you kind of like get a little bit out of touch with who you are, who, who I was, I got a little bit out of touch with that. And then I think the idea of boundaries has sort of, you know, found its way into the collective consciousness as sort of something that we need to work on as human beings. And, and that and that definitely caught my awareness a number of years ago 
and the idea of boundaries. And it gave me the opportunity to really reflect on that. Like, hmm, maybe I need to have stronger boundaries. You know, maybe I need to say no more often. Maybe I need to be more authentic often. Maybe I need to not be afraid to piss people off or be the bad guy or the jerk or the party pooper. You know, I've sort of become a lot more comfortable with that curmudgeon side of myself. <laughs> and Always a curmudgeon to me. Yeah. And a protector and a provider. You know, I also have to be a protector and a provider for myself. And so, you know, I've sort of become a lot more transparent in that way in my relationships where it's like, you want to know how I'm feeling? You want to know if you pissed me off? Yeah, well, you're going to know because I'm going to tell you. Don't worry. You don't really need to ask that much. I mean, I'm not always going to say it, but if I feel like it needs to be said, then I'm going to say it. You know, yeah. one of the uh, young people who came on, he talked about how women would get caught up thinking they were responsible for the men's emotions because the men were locking up because they were kind of taught to keep it down and sound. Women would get engaged to try to like bring forth some of those things they would feel, right? Because they would pick up on the different feelings, but then some feelings weren't being expressed. And I thought it was interesting. He says, because it's not just taking the men out of balance. It takes the women out of balance too, because now they're not just dealing with their emotions. They're thinking they got to take care of someone else's emotions too. And it like, it makes the game board feel weird. Whereas everybody's got to really be able to deal with their own and, and come into it clear, you know, and find out what's going on in the middle, you know? So I think that there's so many ways that who we are emotionally plays out and everybody's a teacher for each other. You know, it's a beautiful mm -hmm. part of the way it works, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, I think there's sort of two sides to that coin, you know, because uh, I think like absolutely yes to what you just said. And then on the other side of it, I think, you know, in relationships, right, we are partially responsible for other people's emotions too. You know, sometimes our actions and what we do and how we react and how we respond is going to affect people's emotions. And so we have to also be sensitive to that. You know, how are we showing up? How are we behaving? How are we listening? How are we responding? And what are our actions? How are they impacting somebody's emotional state? You know, and sometimes like if I did something wrong or if I did something that was not honoring of uh, another person that I'm in a relationship with and that person you know, then has an emotional reaction where they feel angry or they feel sad or hurt, then naturally, you know, I should feel some responsibility. You know, naturally, I do feel some responsibility for that. And I think that that's totally natural as well and totally fine. Yep, I'm with you. I agree. I think that everybody is responsible for their emotional sovereignty. And I, I think there's a lot of truth in how you, you spoke it in regards to that. They call a lot of it the, the seeds, this, what they call, what the people call themselves star seeds and indigos and, and the light workers, the lighthouses, as people would say, they're like, came on such a mission to serve. And I don't know that the information for the value of a foundation of self to serve from that you could be authentic and still stay in balance and create boundaries. Because when you're just here to serve, I think that chameleon energy you spoke of, uh, many people over the years have referenced how they were looking for their real self because they knew how to do what they had to do, but they weren't sure if it was true, you know? So I guess that's what coming through now is it's like tuning true to your nature like using nature and your environment and the safety to develop a, a real understanding of yourself so that you know who the lines are you know yeah yeah absolutely you know it's interesting you know it makes me reflect about my own purpose too and just going back to like what you said your friend you know and how we you know need to kind of 
you know, claim our own emotional sovereignty and not be responsible for other people's emotions around us. I think, you know, when I relate to my own purpose a little bit, I think I am here to sort of carry some of the spiritual, energetic and emotional weight of the world. I think there's, you know, many people who are sort of like that, you know, empathic, right? And so in a relationship, yeah, I do feel that it is like an ideal way of being to just, you know, have you be responsible for your emotions and have other people be responsible for their emotions. And that's an ideal way of being, but it's not always like that, you know, and I think that that emotional weight, it has to go somewhere, you know, and if somebody else around me is not going to be able to carry that weight for themselves, oftentimes I think it's natural for me to take on some of that weight myself, you know, to take in some of that pain, to take in some of that suffering and that sadness into myself and actually transmute it. And I think that, you know, growing up, that was something that I did very naturally, which is that I just sucked in all of the negativity that was around me, you know, because I didn't want other people to feel that way. But now I think that I can do it, you know, sort of more consciously and say, you know what, I can take that from you. But you know what, I'm not going to take that. And sort of be able to just honor that, that, you know, that I have that ability, you know, to carry someone else's emotional weight but it's not necessarily something that I always want to do. Yeah, you know, John, that's for sure. Like, you know, I, I, I've known you for a while now and I have that way that I like to decide, you know, what I think people's best ways to be expressed are. And I've always seen that in you. I, I recall certain times where just conversing with you about certain topics of my life and the compassion and the space we would be in, the energy would move, right? So I think that is what happens for people in, in those shares. And I think you're a natural counselor. And I think that's what a counselor does, right? Like mm -hmm. you're a container for the, the process to happen through you and in their presence, holding sacred witnessing, but it moves through you, right? And the only way that for me that it has stayed on me is when I think I need to do something to change it for the person. And I think that's where that little bit of distortion and more codependent dance comes in right. because I don't need to do anything for the fact that that person's sad and doesn't know how to like find their motivation. I can only, when it's in our time, offer my full presence and that whatever can move, move. So that essence of that beautiful person that I see comes into its, you know, its light, its possibility. Right, you know, right. But so I think it's just learning that, you know, because I've heard you say over the years how you, you metabolize things quickly, you know, so it's the same thing with emotions, right? Because you have that mind that can break it down and, and reflect it in a gentle way, but also mm -hmm. let it run through you. I feel like the only way it gets attached to us is when we feel guilt about something or we feel shame because we recognize that our actions created that pain for that person. You know, even though it might be a design that's perfect that you created pain for that person, but there's still a sensation of like, oh, wow, you know, that person offered me some ice cream and they wanted me to hang out and I didn't eat the ice cream and hang out and they feel alone, but that's okay. That person can call someone else on the phone or do something else. Like mm -hmm. if you really needed to not have ice cream and had to go somewhere else, you needed to go somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, you, you brought up shame and I'll just say from my own experience that shame and guilt is something that I've sort of struggled with actually throughout my life. And I think I can trace that back to my father where, you know, he like really, kind of made me feel ashamed of myself, you know, as if I was always doing something wrong, right? I think in that way, I actually had this like little wound inside of shame and guilt. And naturally as a sponge and as an empath, you know, I would take on other people's shame and their guilt as well. But the reason why I took it on and the reason why it kind of stuck inside me is because that was an emotion 
that I felt so deeply already. And so when that energy would enter me from somebody else, you know, I wouldn't be able to discern if it was theirs or if it was mine. Yeah, I hear you, bro. If I'm happy and I feel somebody else's sadness, you know, I might take in some of that energy, but I just let it go because I'm like, I, I know that's not mine. Shame and guilt, that was a very sticky energy for me. And people, I think, naturally might have, or maybe on some deep subconscious, weird dimensional kind of level, you know, felt that for me that like, you know, okay, I can, I can project that onto this person because they will receive that. Yeah. Or they also felt that because they felt that right. And like, that was part of the dance. Like, I mean, I often say in my practice over the years, like whatever I need to work on is going to show up on the couch. Like it's always coming to me, you know? So whatever it is, that's not in harmony myself will meet me in a beautiful way. And my, right. you have compassion for it, will grow compassion for me. And from that place, hopefully grow more sovereignty, you know, because the bleeding out and the tending to more than you can do. I mean, you know, it's just not a wise thing for a gardener to do. You know, if you're going to garden, you create as much as you can manage and you take care of things that, you know, you set them up so they can also take care of themselves. You know, you, you make sure everything's working together in a way that it doesn't overstretch you because then you lose your ability to enjoy your garden. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's it. You know, it's, uh, that's, that's, that's really uh, important, you know, not to over, overfill your cup there or to take, carry on more weight, you know? Yeah. I think, I think guilt plays a chord in that, like in the way we're an instrument and in that it, it wants to prove its value. You know, I think it, it, mm -hmm. it generates in the body, like a not worthiness because mm -hmm. teacher and I were just talking about this, uh, she'll be on the, in the sixties and we're going into addiction and we were talking about how when the person who lived the addict's habits and the lifestyle, they may have done things that left them with a feeling about themselves that wasn't, you know, like, oh gosh, I'm so cool. It's not like, oh my God, I can't believe I did that, you know? So <laughs> you have to now love and learn, you know, who you are more and accept all those things and not try to like prove it or hide it or make up for it in another way, because that's a relationship between you and you, you know, that's where the moral disengagement kind of, you know, the habit took over the morality and then the character just you know lost their ability to to recognize the ripples so that's something that i think is a is a bottom line for a lot of people as we as we dig up and realign is whatever you did when you did what you did it's not like you can make believe it didn't happen but you can meet it with a certain kind of compassion for that's where i was but that's not who i am right now like my past doesn't dictate who i am mm -hmm. You know, it yeah. can help me learn who I can be. Yeah, absolutely. So your experiences, your feelings, your emotions, you know, to be able to uh, really just see that none of that is actually who you are or what makes you, you, it's just, you know, it's just an experience. Yeah. And very creative, sensitive people, they tend to want to insulate themselves and the habits that people grow to insulate themselves they gain momentum, right? Because it, there's a comfort that you find in getting high or avoiding or shopping or whatever you do, right? Like, so there's something about meeting, like you brought up earlier, the vulnerability that comes with how you really feel and just staying in the sensations as they move through. Because it's none of it wants to stay. The only place it stays, as you've taught me so many times, is in the stories we tell. But how we tell the story has so much to do with how we feel our own glory, right? If you see yourself taking what you can out of each class, then mm -hmm. you grow a certain kind of confidence in your character. Yeah, very good. So uh, 
nice so far. So are you feel complete on that question? Can we go to the next one or what's up? Pause for a moment here. And relationships. Um, yeah, let's keep, let's keep rolling. There's certainly, uh, you know, more on that one. You know, there's all ways that people use each other as resources and all sorts of things that happen in dynamics. And I'd love to, you know, one night at a fire, talk more with you, you know, always enjoy a good conversation with each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, like, like we learned over the weekend, those, these talking circles never end, you know? Right. Yeah. All right. So now that you have restored balance to your masculine and feminine and you have positioned yourself in a way that you feel matches everything that you've wanted and you feel is yours to do, how is it that you maintain a sense of connection to your, to your wisdom, to your truth, to spirit, like to the part you can trust? Like, what is that part of your life like these days? How do you do mm -hmm. that? Wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, it, there, there's not just like one thing, you know, there's not just like one tool that's gonna, you know, do every job in the garden to help that garden stay healthy and, 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 and vibrant. There's a bunch of different tools that I use to sort of help, help me remember. I think that, you know, someone in my life, I've had a lot of spiritual experiences and sometimes just as fast as I have those realizations and those epiphanies, I forget them just as quick, you know? And so we need reminders, you know, we need reminders. You know, I actually have tattoos on, on my body. I have like my shoulders and I have, you know, tattoos that remind me of certain experiences that I've had. And I see those every day. I have tattoos of the I Ching diagrams, certain very I Ching diagrams that are very important to me that remind me of certain realizations that I've had. I definitely want to talk about the I Ching, you know, as a tool that I use pretty much on a daily basis, you know, just to, just to ask this tool because it's really a infinite wisdom and it's a really a, a complete system and it's flawless, you know, it, the I Ching is, um, stands for the book of changes. And it's really like one of the most ancient Chinese oracles, divination tools, and it uses the Bagua, you know, the, the elements that are found in nature and how they play together to basically create these different cycles of change that really make up a circle of, of a cycle of change. And so we're always sort of somewhere in that cycle that goes round and round and round. It's an oracle that you can ask, you know, you can ask spirit, you can ask creator anytime for guidance that applies to the current situation that you are in. And I have just loved this tool, which is really helps a person to cultivate certain characteristics, personality traits, values like modesty, neutrality, detachment, openness, humbleness, humility, compassion, kindness, the ability to not act and to wait. It might tell you that this is a time to just wait and allow the universe and the world to shape itself around you. Or it might say, this is the time, this is the perfect time. There's an opportunity in front of you. Don't miss it. Go for it. You know, that's been a really powerful tool for me to sort of just stay in alignment with the universe as the universe is always unfolding and changing to stay in alignment with that. And then, you know, of course I got the tarot deck, 
and I have this great Earth Warriors deck, you know, and I, so I love these divination tools. Time in nature, and especially time by myself in nature. I guess I'm not by myself because I'm with nature, but, um, you know, just me being the only human there at that time and just talking, you know, talking to the nature spirits, talking to the trees, uh, just observing quietly, breathing in fresh air, feeling my feet on the ground. And, and, and gratitude, you know, I think gratitude is such an important part of staying connected to the source, because I think that when we are connected to the source, gratitude is a natural state of being. And so it's, it's like, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Am I connected to source? So I feel grateful or do I focus on my gratitude to help connect me back to source? It goes either way. And so gratitude is a natural feeling when you're connected, but it's also a tool that you can use to get reconnected to the truth of our existence, which is beauty. Hojo, the Dene word, the beauty way, right? We live inside Hojo. We live inside of this beauty. And that is really the ultimate reality. And so when we connect to that reality, we feel gratitude. And so I use gratitude to connect to reality and to God. And prayer and the fire, lighting a candle. I think fire is this really powerful element that we can connect to that the, the essence of it is that it burns away things that are impure. It burns away things that are not a part of you, things that do not serve you. And so just by lighting a candle, um, you can burn away things that you don't need anymore and help connect you back to the truth of who you really are, you know? And then not only that, but you can also commune with other spirits through that fire too, the ancestors, you know, that eternal flame that is within every spirit, you know, you can light a candle and connect with the spirits like that. So those are tools, you know, there's sacred plant medicines that I also use. I'm not going to mention them right now. I'll just say that sacred plant medicines that constantly renew me and remind me and, and get me back to the truth of who I am, the innocence and the purity of who I am. So I'm really thankful for those medicines and, um, well, music. Oh, yeah. Music. I was like, he didn't say music yet. I'm sitting there going, what? Like, I love it. Well, I, I say most important one for last, you know, music is, you know, just really always been a big part of my life. You know, I was always singing since I was a, a really young child. You know, it's it's always been sort of my medicine, my 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 biggest medicine. You know, not even just music and listening to music, but playing music and singing and hearing the sound of my own voice and letting my soul's expression come out through music is always something that realigns me. And it's essential, really, for me. If I don't get to play music for a while, I actually feel like I go a little bit nuts. Good to so know. My, Good to know. Those, those are my main, those are my main tools, you know. Awesome. Well, that's great, John. And I appreciate how you were able to consider the elements. I think that's great. And you know, I've been loving the eating since the 90s. I used to use it all the time in the coffee house. And it's been a, a practice of mine for a long time, too. And I, I do find the use of nature and how things work there to be wonderful ways to help inspire our ways of relating. Mm -hmm. Appreciate that. The one thing that I thought of when you were sharing about gratitude is that you know, I think when we lose our gratitude, sometimes we can feel victim-like, you know, we can feel like, oh, it's happening to us. And, you know, I know over the time we've known each other, we've considered the possibility and try to remember that it's always happening for us, you know, that everything's happening for us. The universe is the greatest troll that wants us to all grow with the gold, you know, like to come into mm -hmm. our best selves. So 
it's nice the way we get everything we need to do that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, I think that um, if you're sort of living in this experience where, you know, it's like you against the world or it's like, you know, you, every man for themselves and, you know, everything falls on your shoulders and you have to go and get everything and make everything happen for yourself. I think that, you know, you might have a little bit of a disconnection from just the way that the universe and creator provides, you know, mother nature, the way that she provides for us and how, how much gratitude we should feel, we could feel for that, you know, but I think that you can get to that experience of reality and see how magical that this, you know, existence really is through appreciation and gratitude, you know. If you can just start to look at the things in your life that you can be grateful for, I think that naturally you will start to just experience life in a magical way more and more. The more you can just tune into that gratitude and appreciation for what you already have. The wind's kicking up. That's magic. Meaningful actions get intentions crystallized. Yeah. That, you know, our friend here, Mr. Rucker, has many meaningful actions and obviously been taking a lot of time to learn himself and understand who he is and how he brings himself. So, you know, oh. that ability. Right. So that's about it for today. And now we're looking for a way to close this up. So any uh, way, like I've been just making a prayer as we end, but I know you're, you're quite the prayer warrior. So we could either together share or you can end with the prayer. But how do you want to close this portal? You know, we open up a space when we come into these shares and now we want to close it up in a good way and be thankful for the way we're able to be so graceful and fluid. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, if you would be so kind as to allow me to just uh, say a short prayer, and perhaps you'd like to also say a prayer. I. I. All right. Here I. we go. Well, I, I always think a good prayer starts with gratitude. And so I will just say, you know, Creator, thank you for my life. Thank you for this moment in time for bringing me here to this broadcast with Croatia. I feel grateful and I'm, I feel like I, I, it's an honor to be a guest on this broadcast and to be able to touch hopefully at least one person, you know, that listened to, to this today creator. Thank you for the clarity. <laughs> Thank you for the inspiration. Blessings to everyone out there, you know, however we identify ourselves as men, as women, you know, blessings to us. And may we come to really know ourselves deeply, come to forgive ourselves, have compassion for ourselves and really experience the truth that we are really perfect the way that we are the way that god made us may 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 everyone out there be able to have that experience creator and blessings to all of us and all of our relationships all of our families blessings to all the children of the world always have to include them in our prayers creator the holy water sacred fire mother earth and the air we are born of these elements thank you creator for making us that way may we connect deeply to our divine purpose, our reason for incarnating here on this planet creator. You have given us this precious life and may we live and fulfill our purpose on this sacred mother earth. I hope. House, house, house. Bring in our ancestors. You know, like really all the people and the generation, the one before, the one before, the one before, the one before, and what they lived through, you know, in those times and how they've been part of the design to bring us right here, right now. Oh, and thank 
all the ways that people were stretched and, and created what they did in those times of separation, you know, where we lived so disconnected. So you're like, really want to be so grateful to everything that everybody lives through with compassion and understanding of everything that happened, but also the ability to release it, release mm-hmm. it as the, the ways that no longer serve, you know, as you adopt new ways to move with the current and to speak and to align and to really appreciate all the time that every person that lives through to get us mm. right here right now. Just, mm. just, wow, what warriors, what amazing people, you know, our grandparents up there in the sky, the ones still here, you know, the ones beyond them. Like, thank you for everything you did to bring this generation and all these people who are here now to help reclaim, store, regenerate. Awesome. May our shared prayer in these conversations just really allow people's hearts to grow an ability to share space, to share space only place. Best to the shared space. It's not an opportunity to dump. It's an opportunity to see and to learn and to grow. For that, and maybe we just know what's up. And thank you for listening today. All peace to your hearts and may everything you need come to you. Aho. Can I drop a little gem? All right. And drop a little gem, just a shout out to everyone that's on the red road, you know, the red road, the middle path, right? It's not about being too high. It's not about being too low. It's about staying right there in the middle, being humble like that. So, you know, for all the spiritual folks out there, you know, I just want to pass along something really brilliant that one of my elders always says, you know, he said, you need to learn how to wear your ego, right? And so that really kind of a little bit of a contradiction to sort of some of the Eastern way of looking at the ego of like, you have to kill your ego, ego death, right? No, have to be able to wear our ego. And that's a part of us. And egos need love too. So blessings to everyone out there and blessings to your egos. And may, you know, you feel good in your soul and your ego too. Aho. Nice, Johnny. Love it. And yeah, the red road is the middle. That's what my pipe is. It's all in the middle. It's always about finding your center and living that place. And yeah, it's your, it's your, it's your ship, you know, it's what you navigate with and you learned a lot of cool stuff with it. So just love who you are and work out the bumps. She's mm. do it all. Yeah. I hope.